All right, thank you so much. Thank you, choir, and thank you, uh, all of you, for worshiping this morning. Thank our praise team. If you brought your Bibles, turn to a familiar passage, Matthew chapter 28, for familiar scripture. Matthew chapter 28, and we want to read verses 18 through 20. I'm going to share a sermon entitled, Do Your Job, Do Your Job, kind of like the little slide up there with People gathered around, you have one line running from one person to the next, and you'd be surprised what all takes place when everyone just does their job. Be surprised what all we're able to do for the kingdom when all of us just do our job. And so I'd like for us to see uh, what Jesus said our job was or is. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and if you're if you are able, if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word and uh, His inspired Word, inerrant Word, infallible Word. It's Him speaking to us. And so if you would, let's look at verse 18 through 20. Familiar passage. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to come together and worship this morning. Thank you for every person here. And God, thank you for your word. We know your word is sure. We know your word's infallible. We know it's inspired. It's God-breathed. And so, Father, we know that it's inerrant. It has no errors. And we know, Lord, that you're speaking to us. And so help us, we pray, as your people today to take your word to heart. And, Lord, not just be hearers of your word, but be doers of your word. Help us to do the job that you've called us to do. Father, give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. And Father, allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, our guide. And Father, as we uh, turn to you this morning for you to speak to us, thank you, help us, we pray, to listen. And Father, be attentive. And Father, as you speak to us, be willing to make the decisions you call us to make. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Do your job, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Well, we've personally read it as, we personally read this passage of Scripture, no doubt, many times together as a church family as we did this morning. We've heard it read by others a number of times. We've heard it a number of times uh, during, in sermons and preached from uh, different pulpits, places where we attended or where we visited. It's a very popular message. And the essence of the verses are just real simple. We're co-laborers with God in evangelistic ministry. We're co-laborers with God in evangelistic ministries, or in evangelistic ministry. And the thing that makes this great commission great are those two little simple letters in the prefix, co-mission. We're on co-mission. This is the great commission. We're co-mission. We're on mission with God. If Jesus wanted to save the world all by himself, well, he would have already done that. But he's chosen to use us as he seeks to win a lost world to himself. 
But the moment that you and I were saved, he enlisted us as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Listen, if you would, to Romans. Just mark down Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Listen to God's Word. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. So the point is, as co-heirs, we have been enlisted to cooperate with God on this great commission. So as a believer today, you may not realize this, but you're on mission with God. And that mission is to, is to win a lost world to Jesus Christ through preaching of the gospel. The point is, every follower of Jesus Christ needs to own the commission. Every follower of Jesus Christ needs to own this great commission. Now, as believers, remember this, you can't outsource your responsibility to someone else to win a world to Jesus Christ. You're part of the mission. You can't depend on the preacher to do it. You can't depend on deacons to do it. You can't depend on vocational evangelists to do it. You just can't sit back and say, that's not my job to, to be on mission with God, to, to be a part of this co-mission with God, this great co-mission. It's not my responsibility to tell others about Jesus. That's what we pay the preacher for. That's why we have these evangelists. I don't know anything about that. That's their business, not what God says. He says, we're going to reach a world. You're going to have to do your job. I'm going to have to do my job. We have the same job. And that's sharing the gospel with people that we come in contact with. Every one of us have the privilege and the responsibility of obeying the Great Commission. Now notice, God did not give the responsibility of evangelizing the world to just a chosen few, but he gave it to everyone. Everyone. So you can't look at someone else and say as a believer to another believer, it's your responsibility, it's not mine, it's your responsibility, it's not my responsibility, it is your responsibility. God's given each believer the spiritual gifts, the tools, the opportunities to play a role in this great task called the Great Commission. So if you're taking notes, remember first of all, we're in this all together. God's chosen all of us. Point number two, there are many reasons why we fail to evangelize. Many reasons why we fail. Now, why do we fail? First, we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Second, why do we fail if we're co-heirs? Why do we fail to evangelize? I've listed about four or five, and you need perhaps oh, they'll be on your outline. First of all, one reason that we fail to evangelize is we have this ignorance of what evangelism is. We have ignorance of what, what does that mean? Does that mean, uh, does that mean, does evangelism mean that we just go to church? Does evangelism mean that someone, we pay someone else to share the gospel? We send out missionaries. We, we're ignorant to what evangelism really means. But something else, notice, number two, few evangelistic role models. We have just a few evangelistic role models. Uh, I got thinking about this. 
having evangelistic role models. You know, we carry our children, I did, we did as a family, we carry our children to all types of athletic events. Most every child will receive a participation trophy sometime, probably this summer, this year, sometime. We show our children how to catch a ball. We show them how to hold a right grip, the right grip on a bat, or how to run through a, through a, uh, on a base hit, or how to swing level at a pitch. We teach them all about baseball, about softball, about soccer, about football, all of these athletic events that they're a part of. But when it comes to being a role model in evangelism, most parents get an F for that. They've never heard their parents share the gospel with anyone. And that's one reason that we fell in evangelism. We don't have role models. We don't have role models. Children don't have role models to, to hear a parent share with someone else, even themselves. Parents sharing with a child about how to be saved. Some parents do, and I praise the Lord for that. So why do we not evangelize? Well, ignorance of what evangelism is, few evangelistic role models. Number three, people aren't convinced about the lostness of believers. Do you really believe that your relatives without Christ are lost and they're going to hell? Do you believe that? Do you believe that they have no good life here on earth? But God's willing to give them a good life here on earth, not here on earth only, but in heaven? He says, a thief comes to steal and to kill, but I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He wants you to have an abundant life right here, right now, than when you die to live eternally with him in heaven. He wants you to have an abundant life right now to help you with your problems at home, help you with your marriage, help you with your children, help you with your job, help you find a job, whatever the problem is. He wants you to live an abundant life right now. And when you die, you'll have a home in heaven. But for a lost person, you can't even live an abundant life here. You're miserable without Jesus Christ in your life. And you know that if you die, that you'll have no home in heaven. And you know the only thing is waiting for you is the wrath of God in this place called hell. Now, if we really believe that, if we really are convinced about the lostness of a believer, we would do everything in our power to share with them how they can go to heaven when they die. But I think one reason we fail in the great commission is that we really are not convinced about the lostness of a believer. But something else, number four. No evangelism training is provided. Now, I jotted that down. No evangelism training is provided. Now, oftentimes churches will not provide evangelism training, will not disciple their people in evangelistic training. Now, we can't say that about our church here. Because we've done, over the years, we've done a great job of teaching our people how to witness. Now, there's one thing about teaching it and one thing about doing it. Someone said years ago, Baptists know more than they're doing right now. And I believe that's true, especially in evangelism. But when I began to look about, Lord, have we failed in this area? Then I thought about tonight we're starting a new evangelism study. Witnessing through your relationships. Going to be, I'm going to be teaching, beginning the first session tonight, how to witness through your relationships. It's easy to, to share the gospel with someone who's receptive of the gospel. But how do you share with those who are not receptive of the gospel? 
how do you come to a point or how do they come to a point in their life where they'll come to you and say, listen, friend, share with me what you have. I want to know. So how do you build a relationship with someone who's not receptive of the gospel? And, and uh, you know, you can ask the majority of the people here, uh, who shared with you how to be saved? You'd probably say a friend or my parent, my next-door neighbor, someone that you were close to. That's, that's easy receptivism. You're, they're receptive of the gospel because of a friend, of a neighbor, a parent, a relative. But what, how do you reach those who are unreceptive? Years ago, Brother Nayla McCreelis and I, he was pastor at First Baptist Church in Phil Campbell, and, and we, were, we were discussing about evangelism and how difficult it was now. And he said this, he said, Brother Sammy, he said, I'll tell you what, um, we've reached all the easy ones. Only the hard ones are left now. Wow, that's true. How do you reach the hard ones? How do you reach the person that don't want to listen, that don't want to hear? That's what we're going to begin tonight as we study about witnessing through your relationship. And so we began that tonight. And I look back over the years, we did continuing witnessing training. I love that, that training. Faith outreach training. One day so winning workshops. Had a workshop here at the church and taught people how to, how to witness. I had a one day witness workshop. Master life, discipleship process, personal testimony witnessing, wrote out their testimonies and learned how to share their testimonies with one another and, and hopefully with someone on the street. And a Mark New Testament training. And so I believe with all my heart that we've done a pretty good job in offering, but we can't make people come just like tonight. I don't know how many will be here tonight, but I'm going to tell you something. God expects you to witness, and if you don't know how to witness, you need to be at this witness training tonight why do we not witness well we witness because people aren't convinced about the lostness of believers we witness we fail to witness because at times there's no evangelistic training provided and then we we the next i jotted down fear fear of the unknown it's kind of difficult to go up to that door perhaps and and knock on the door you don't know what's on the other side that's the fear of the unknown that prevents us. We don't have the boldness. We're not counting on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's power that's found in verse 18, by the way, Matthew 28, when he said, Behold, I'll be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. We're not going by ourselves. Always remember, when you go into a home, you're not the first one that's been there. The Holy Spirit's already been there. You're just following up on how he's convicted the person you're going to visit. We don't evangelize. We don't share the gospel. Another reason, because we've lost the joy of our salvation. We've lost the joy of our salvation. Now, with that in mind, our revival effort begins next Sunday. Brother Terry Long is going to come, and he's going to be preaching. He's the director of mission, Choctaw Association. Also works out of the evangelism department at our state convention. He's been here before. Great guy, great preacher, loves the Lord, loves to witness and what he'll be doing is coming and challenging us by God's word, or with God's word, encouraging us to share the gospel. Revival effort begins next Sunday morning, and each night at 7 p.m. with Brother Terry Long. But revival is not for the lost. At times we see lost people saved, and that's great. We rejoice in that. But revival is for God's people 
who want to have a fresh encounter with God on their lives. You want that? You desire that in your life? That's what revival is. Now, some will want it, and some will not. But the way you can tell if a person is really revived, I'm going to tell you this, the way you can tell a person is really revived, the way you can tell if they're sharing with others about Jesus Christ. If they're jumping around and hooping and hollering and old menning and praising the Lord, and they never share about Jesus, they ain't got revival. When you get revival, when you experience a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life, then you'll begin to share with others about Jesus Christ. You can't help it. I mean, that's just part of it. You can't help it. You'll want to share. So why do we not share? Well, I listed this. Because we don't know many unbelievers. We don't know many unbelievers. We don't know. I probably didn't give you that one, Kenny. I'm sorry. We don't know many. Who's your circle of friends? Now, you may have some that have some lost friends, and that's great. I always try to keep a few lost friends in my circle of friends. Um, who are your friends? We, we, don't, we don't know many unbelievers. And that's what witness through your relationship is all about. Going out and finding the hard ones. Going out and finding those that you feel like are not receptive and build a relationship with them where at some point in that relationship you'll be able to share the gospel with them. Building relationships with those who are unreceptive to the gospel. Why do we not evangelize? Well, we don't evangelize simply because, for the most part, we just don't care. We just don't care. He's so busy, we just don't care. Let me share this with you. Over... A 15-year period, 1991 to 2005, 40% of Americans claim to be born again. 40%. 2017, 31% made that claim. We don't have time to waste. Looks like we're dropping in people who are believing in Jesus Christ. The point is, as the world quickly becomes more lost the church must quickly become more evangelic. The world's growing more lost, and so we have to grow in our evangelism. You say, well, I can't, Brother Sammy, I can't. I'm afraid, I'm scared, that's not me. There's so many reasons that we don't tell people about Jesus, but listen to this, but there's not a single excuse that's acceptable to God for it. He expects us to. And let me say this, number three, point three. Share the gospel while you're living. Did you know there's one thing that you won't be able to do when you get to heaven? You know what it is? Share the gospel. If you're going to share the gospel, you do it before you die. You share the gospel before you die. Judy and I had an opportunity March 21st and 23rd to attend Timothy Barnabas training at Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Dr. Johnny Hunt offers us every year. This will be our third time to go to that training. And, and it's just uh, information that assists the pastor and, and, and the ministering at his church. And it's a, it's a pastor wives uh, conference. And during this conference, we heard, or I heard, Judy was on another conference with the ladies, I heard a, a challenging message on how a 12-year-old named Malachi was able to give his all 
to share in the gospel. And it was so, it, it touched my heart so, I want to show you this little video about Malachi and what Malachi did in sharing the gospel. You'll hear his parents first, and you'll hear a message from him in just a minute. There'll be a pause in between. Kevin, if you can kick that on for us, and we'll dim our lights where you can see it better. Well, we named him Malachi after the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament, um, and his name means my messenger. He never met a stranger so inquisitive, would talk to anybody, and... That was him from day one. I mean, that, that's never changed. Even until he took his last breath, he was always that way. He, Malachi loved sports, and he loved soccer. And at night, he started to complain that, he's like, Dad, my leg hurts. So I went to a friend who, you know. Hmm. So I went to a friend who, you know, has a clinic here and they got finished and the doctor came. He's like, Dad, my leg hurts. So I went to a friend who, you know, has a clinic here and they got finished and the doctor came. And at night he started to complain that, he's like, Dad, my leg hurts. So I went to a friend who, you know, has a clinic here. Well, we named him Malachi after the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament. Um, and his name means my messenger. He never met a stranger so inquisitive, would talk to anybody and... That was him from day one. I mean, that, that's never changed. Even until he took his last breath, he was always that way. He, Malachi loved sports and he loved soccer. And at night, he started to complain that, he's like, Dad, my leg hurts. So I went to a friend who, you know, has a clinic here and they got finished and the doctor came to the door and he just, you know, he knocked and it's that moment you don't want as a parent where he's like, hey, I need you to come talk to me. So I went down to the office and sat down and he, he just looked at me and he said, there's two to three small masses in the base of his spine. We need you to uh, take him to Atlanta today. But that Saturday morning, they, they had about, it's about two and a half, almost three hour surgery. And he just said, like, the likelihood of this being cancer is pretty high. So. That was a very hard moment. I mean, not to just say it as it is, but the average lifespan was 17 months. He was in the hospital for 45 days. And he just immediately, when you go back and you start looking at kind of some of the stuff that he wrote down, Malachi could have just said, like, I'm done. February 2nd, 2019, I said, just let me die. That's what I said. There's no point in laying in a bed doing nothing. My dad said, I'm alive probably today still because I have a story even at age 12. I have a testimony. As parents, you can encourage your kids to do something. But in that situation, he had to make a decision. 
and he chose how he was going to walk it out. The Lord has given me so many chances to share the gospel, and I'm going to take every chance I can. The world needs Jesus. I want to step my game up because this thing, cancer, it can kill me, so I need to tell as many people as I can. Every day, Monday through Friday, when we would go for radiation, he would have to be transported in an ambulance. And so every day we had two new people that we spent about four hours with. And Malachi shared the gospel every day to those new people. I mean, he would lay in the back of that, on that stretcher in that ambulance. So where are you from and what do you do? But Malachi was just so bold and I think that was kind of one of the gifts of cancer, was that it really brought an awareness of life and death. Yeah. I mean, you get a cancer diagnosis and it's, what do you have to lose? <laughs> I mean, you know, like really, what, I mean, what do you have to lose? The body of believers at our church is amazing. We rolled out the Who's Your One initiative and that was one of the things that fueled that list. He just literally went through the list of people that he knew that needed Jesus, and I, I'm just going to write them down. I'm going to fight for them. And gosh, for him, he it's it just took it seriously because he he saw the finish line in front of him. The end of August, we went uh, for a scan, and it had spread to his brain, and so our prayers shifted from. Lord, sustain him, you know, to cheering him on to the finish line. And so when he, when he took his last breath, I just remember thinking, like right now, he's with Christ. Yeah, we, we hung on to that passage of in the garden where he's like, take this cup, please take this cup. Um, but if it's your will, and so we just we just drank of whatever the Lord gave us and trusted that the end would be for His glory. Twelve years old, he knew that death was certain. And he wanted to spend every, month, every minute he had to, to witness for Christ. He, he had a list of 17 people. And that 17 was special to him because that's how many months they gave him to live. One person for each month that he was expected to live. Those were his ones that he'd written down. He'd heard about who's your one challenge, and so he wrote down 17 that he was going to be praying for, and over 100 already. I've come to Christ. I want you to hear his testimony, just real short. Kevin, if you would, show that for us. Hi, I'm Alka Russell. I'm 12 years old. I'm in sixth grade. I go to Sherwood Christian Academy. I love playing goalie for a rec and my dad coaching me. Uh, I, lo I always love going to the beach and looking for shark teeth. Um, I always love playing video games. 
and playing with my brothers outside. Some of my favorite memories are like when we had the Nerf gun wars in the house and around the house. The tickle fights that we'd always have on the couch, those are fun because we'd always end up getting out of control and then we all get out of control. <laughs> our dad always loves to play sports with us and he coaches our recreational team and he plays Nerf Gun Wars with us, he plays the Xbox with us, he makes my lunch every day to go to school, he helps a lot. Some of the things I love about my mom are she always laughs, so it always makes us laugh if we're having a down day. Um, my mom is full of surprises. We'll be in the car and she'll see we're having a bad day. She'll be like, wanna go to freeze? Let's go to freeze. So we'll go to freeze. Like she'll stick a note in our lunchbox every once in a while, talking about how much she loves us. I want to say I was about six or seven, and I heard I heard Cameron talking about Christ and how cool it was, and so I come in the living room and I'm like, "Ooh, I, I want to talk about this. I want to do this." And her, my parents are like, "You're not ready." So I go back to my room. I finally got to the point where it was at a concert at our church, and I felt the Lord just calling me and. I went down and got saved, and then I got baptized that night. When I got saved, I didn't really have a full understanding of the Lord, but then when I got cancer, it really changed my view of what uh, the world is and how we need the Lord. My favorite verse is John 15:5. I am the vine, you are the branch. Whoever abides in me and I in him shall bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So apart from Christ, I can do nothing. But I was trying to live my life and my full strength and my strength, and it wasn't getting me anywhere, literally. I'm wheelchair banned now. But the Lord has really helped me get through this and fight through this with a good attitude and the Lord is never going to leave you or forsake you. He's got your side, so don't give up on Him. The Lord knows your every breath. He knows your first breath and He knows your last breath. Just trust in the Lord. He has me in this situation for a reason and a purpose, and I'm going to do what I, whatever I can to help fulfill this or do what the Lord wants me to do. The reason I have hope in Christ is because I have a relationship with Christ and I'm permanently saved, which means I have asked the Lord to come into my life to help me live like the Lord because I, I'm a sinner and without the Lord, I can't do anything. So I have asked the Lord to forgive me for my sins and I believe that He died on the cross for my sins and that three days later, He rose from the grave to save me from going to hell. So I have a chance to go to heaven and I have a hope and a future. As Jeremiah says, um, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So I know there's a future for me. I just have to wait for the Lord to give it to me. So I'm, I'm having a good attitude through this because I know there is a future and I know that I could die, but I know if I do die, 
It's for the glory of God, and that was His plan for my life. I don't want to live my life on earth just waiting to die. I want to actually spread the gospel with other people so that they don't, so that when they die, that they don't go to hell and suffer the rest of their life like they're doing on earth, but even worse. But I know that when I die, I'm going to be in heaven with a new body, with everything new. I'm going to be, um, I'm going to have all my strength. I'm going to be running around in heaven. <laughs> uh, and I won't have my, I won't have my sinful body. And I know that when I die, I'm going to be face to face with the one who created me and gave me a purpose on this earth. And I'm going to be on my legs walking and running and enjoying heaven. Twelve years old, twelve years old, his desire was to see 17 people come to Christ, over a hundred came to Christ. His, his desire was not just to give up, but not just waiting around to die, but live while he was dying. And that's what we're to be doing too, and we're to be serving the Lord while that time, while we're spending this time dying here on this earth. I don't know about you, but God's convicted me that we need to do our job in sharing the gospel with those people that we come in contact with. We're part of the commission, the Great Commission. And it's great because we're part of it. Where God's called on us to help him, to assist him. Not that he needs us, but that he wants to use us. And I hope that you're willing to be used. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your presence. Thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning about a job that we have to do. Convict us, Lord, to do that job individually and as a church also. I thank you for each person here. You know their hearts, you know my heart. And so, Father, I pray this will be a time of commitment to evangelism, to sharing the gospel as believers to others that in our home, our neighborhood, wherever it might be, the people we come in contact with. Thank you for what you're going to do in our time. Thank you for Malachi and his testimony and his encouragement, Lord. He understood all about what it's like to, to serve you and serve you at, at his fullest. That's what he did, his best. And he wanted to see people come to Jesus, to, to have the things that he knew that he would experience shortly. Thank you for what you're going to do in our invitation time this morning. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.